Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. This episode of the Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School. Not Sorry Art School is my online art school I created two and a half years ago to supplement my workshop teaching when the pandemic hit. It became a really great resource where I could put all of my knowledge about representational painting into one space. We add one new section or demo every quarter to Not Sorry Art School, and you don't have to pay a membership fee. You pay one time, and then you get access to all of the past videos and all future videos. Not Sorry Art School has an online Facebook group where I have office hours every Monday, and I answer questions within the Not Sorry Art School Facebook group. And there's also a wonderful sense of community on there where people will share their paintings and get great consensual feedback. I'm really excited about Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested, make sure to click the link and check out the about page to learn more about Not Sorry Art School. Hello, and welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari. Thanks for being here. Today's episode was inspired by a TikTok. If you know me in real life, this is a very common occurrence. I'm very frequently inspired by TikTok. But if I can paint a picture for you, this was a video of a woman videotaping her living room after a storm. I will say that the woman claims that everyone is fine and fine health, but she was making a moment of dark humor. Anyways, she was videotaping what used to be her living room. The roof had been torn off. The living room looked as though, to not mince words here, a tornado had gone through it. And she zoomed in on a corner of her living room that remained relatively intact. And there was a little robot vacuum, a little Roomba, dutifully cleaning. It was on and buzzing around its corner of the living room, vacuuming. And now granted, I'm a a bit of a dramatic person, but I couldn't help but think that there was a bit of relatability and the idea that you could be working your job, head down, doing what you're supposed to do, despite everything around you being in shambles. Again, a very dramatic analogy here, but it does remind me of what it can feel like sometimes as an artist to go from a particularly heavy and daunting news day, maybe even your personal life, I don't know, but go from a situation where it feels like everything's kind of crumbling And then you bop over to your studio, you feed your kids, and you sit down and you paint a disco ball or a painting of goldfish or something that's seemingly light and innocuous. Now, of course, all of us have meaning to our artwork, um, even if the meaning is just, I'm happy to be here, I'm excited to paint. But sometimes the contrast of those two seemingly very disparate things can make the exercise of sitting down to make art a little bit overwhelming and daunting. And this is a theme that I've felt kind of throughout my creative career. I remember even in college, my freshman year when we were all deciding our majors, I immediately wanted to be in political science because I had, you know, my childhood was below the poverty line and policy very directly affected us. And, you know, if there was a policy change in the Missouri government and somehow benefits were cut to very low-income families we felt it it wasn't just some headline on the news it meant the difference between eating enough in the summer and not eating enough in the summer and so it all felt very real to me so when I went to college I wanted to do political science now of course the joke is that I it was a very writing heavy um, school and I remember thinking if I was going to balance being a full-time student athlete 
and a student and having a job that I needed to keep all my bills paid and stuff that I was not going to be able to do a really hard major. To put it the way my advisor sort of mentioned it to me, she said kids that came from my high school tended to take a year or two to kind of catch up. And I didn't know if I had that in me. It was really a struggle to just, you know, finish college. So I sort of naively was like, well, I'll pick art. It's an easy major. (laughs) Joke's on me. It ended up being not super writing heavy, but it was very time intensive. But, you know, hindsight is 2020, I suppose. But I ended up falling in love with painting. I had an amazing college painting professor and I loved it. And the rest is history. I'm now a painter. But this idea of feeling the need to do something to help to stop everything and just all hands on deck and and fix the world is something that sort of ebbed and flow throughout my career and in my personal life. I don't think that's unique to me. I think all of us are sort of on some degree maybe struggling with that idea and how do we help and what do we do. Um, but today's episode I wanted to specifically address what that can look like for an artist. I'm certainly, I don't have like the answers to this at all, but this is something that I've thought about in earnest and made adjustments in my life and my creative practice to to the best of my ability, help and ba- find a balance between the two and make them more congruent than maybe they seem on the outside. So if that sounds interesting to you, if you want to hear more of kind of my thoughts on this, then yeah, stay tuned. Thanks for being here. So I don't think there's one short answer to this. The way I'm sort of creating this podcast is by giving you what I hope is several more thoughts to sort of juggle in the way we sort of calibrate how we help, how we be of service, how we sort of find community and again help the state of the world without like losing our mind and sacrificing everything we've worked for. So again, there's no one straight answer here. I just don't think that that's how any of this works. But the way I sort of deal with this conflict is one I sort of allow it to be a conflict I'll get into that later but the first you know metaphorical ball I would like to give you to juggle actually comes from one of my favorite like random fun facts again if you know me in real life you know that I'm just like chocked full of these like really random fun facts um and this one, this one starts at about 300 million years ago. And I am not a sciencey person. So if anyone who has like a science degree is listening and cringing, like I am so sorry. I'm just going to put it in the layman's speak. But basically, you know, in, in the idea of, of evolution, you know, we think that all the things that are currently on our, our planet right now have to some degree always been there you know that the ecosystem has maybe shifted over time but that there's always been you know birds and trees and grass and mushrooms and all those things but that's not the case maybe it's obvious to other people but it wasn't obvious to me and about again 300 million years ago there was a time period where insects were absolutely massive this is a time when insects measured about 20 centimeters about eight inches long and there were insect species that were even bigger than that you can google like insect fossils from 300 million years ago and you'll see some of the like craziest pictures of like massive dragonflies pretty pretty crazy spooky stuff you know centipedes were huge it was just a wild time all around i'm very glad humans were not rolling around at this point in time or at least not a proto seri that would have been terrifying but anyways fun fact about insects is that because of the way that their respiratory system works they their size is always proportionate to the amount of carbon dioxide and oxygen in the air so when there's an increase in oxygen and a decrease in carbon dioxide in the air 
insects become humongous. And the reason why oxygen levels were so big during this time, enabling these insects to become ginormous, is because there was not a naturally kind of occurring bacteria, fungi, uh, decomposer in the natural environment that could break down sort of these like proto trees. They basically had the same sort of fibrous trunk-like structure to them. I believe it was called lingden. Lingden. Anyways, this cellulose type fiber couldn't be broken down, and so when these proto trees would fall over, they just sort of piled up without ever really being broken down. And because of that, the carbon trapped in those proto trees stayed trapped inside and they didn't get released into the atmosphere meaning that carbon dioxide just kept going down and oxygen kept increasing and i know there's a lot of very real science about increasing levels of carbon dioxide and that's i mean we're like dramatically way away from that kind of threshold but this was not a good thing right there's no way for this to be broken down (laughs) until finally a kind of decomposer fungus mushroom mutated and was able to finally break down that fibrous structure and releasing the carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere and over many 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 years sort of restoring that balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide to a ratio that's a little more familiar to what we have today okay but why am i bringing all this up what's the deal so analogy that I really like and I sort of hold dear to my heart I've made content about it before is that artists are kind of like mushrooms or we're the fungi the bacteria the breaker downers of our world and the way I think of this is a lot of times as an artist our job is to just hold up a mirror is just to observe the world in a way that takes time and sensitivity and quiet observation and a willingness to deviate from typical societal structures. Basically, our time and our sensitivity is our superpower. And we're able to paint images of our neighborhood that maybe everyone else who has different kinds of jobs just walks past and they don't see and they don't observe because they're going to go be nurses and they're going to go you know be teachers and other kind of jobs that use their time and energy and and resources in different ways but as an artist our job is to, to to sense and be observant around the world around us and break that down you know you you took a picture you you painted you collaged quilted something that other people maybe would skim over because they don't have the time and you broke it down into something that's worthy of observation you put it on a pedestal you elevated something that seems very simple and now when other people look at it you've curated a view for them no matter how simple and benign and seemingly innocuous it is you've taken an element in the world and you've broken it down into a digestible piece that other people in our ecosystem can then interpret and think about and intuit. And I know that seems really simple and maybe very obvious or maybe not that profound, but I think that is profound work. And the reason why it can feel not profound, you know, the idea that all you do is do watercolors of your neighborhood or all you do is paint pictures of fruit or whatever it is, the reason why that can seem really like it's not contributing to the world is because I think in our, our, at least in the West or in America, it's all like, I, you know, the United States, that's all I can really speak to. There's this idea that the person that's going to save the world is a person. It's a superhero. It's one person that's going to be able to observe the problem, 
know exactly how to fix it, have the manpower to fix it all by themselves and, and do this. And what I think we miss in our culture is that that can almost very rarely, if, if not maybe even never, happen with one individual person that any kind of meaningful change is going to happen within a community it's going to be a mixture of people with various strengths and various powers and various skills that all come together and work towards a more equitable safer more justice oriented world and i think that artists a lot of our job happens sort of at the beginning of that where you know we take to get back to the the mushroom slash fungus metaphor we take and observe the world around us. We hold up a mirror and maybe we break it down even into like a direct message. You know, the more politically pointed artists are, are examples of this where they really, they show you the harm. They show you the injustice. They show you a perspective that's been marginalized. And, you know, whether it's painting fruit to doing something more pointed, we break down a very complicated, nuanced, hard to see issue and we just elevate it for someone else to then come and say yes. And that actually amplifies what I'm doing as a, you know, an activist or a politician or a writer or any other part of the ecosystem. A large movement of people who are then motivated to vote or help or donate or whatever that looks like. And just because you're a part of an ecosystem and you're not doing everything, it doesn't mean you're not doing something. And so my, you know, my first point in all of this is to remember that if you're making art out of a very authentic place, you know, you're not doing it for external motivations. Um, I have podcast episodes and previous ones about the importance of that distinction. But if you're doing, if you're making art because it's, it's what's honest and feels right to you, no matter how quote serious or not serious that may be, then there's power in that and it is important and it is part of the ecosystem and what you're doing is you're breaking down the world and somebody else can come along and take what you synthesized and turn it into something else much like that mushroom which breaks down the the tree that's fallen over the proto tree <laughs> you know the carcasses the decayed leaves and then breaks that down into something that another organism can then use as building blocks to create something new. And we have to remember that that's an important process. It's a valuable process. And again, if you're operating out of honesty and integrity, then you're you're doing you're doing the right thing. It's not the only thing you can do, but whenever you feel like that Roomba <laughs> that's cleaning up a blown apart living room remember that what you're doing no matter how innocuous it kind of seems is still an important act okay so my little fungus analogy is is the crux of my point it's the biggest statement that I want to make to artists is that as long as you're operating out of honesty and integrity and you're intrinsically motivated and the way you're observing and making art is in alignment with those things that there is power to that um I remember there was a time when right after I graduated from college, I had made some pretty good work that was starting to get a little heavy hitting, you know, it was pictures and paintings of houses and I was beginning to tackle ideas around the American dream and painting the neighborhoods I grew up in and I started to feel like I was getting traction on making art that was beautiful and important and authentic but also said something and cut to graduating and losing kind of all the resources that come with being in an arts program in addition to other reasons 
One of the reasons that I couldn't make art for about a year and a half was because I wanted to make art that was not only good, but that did something and said something. I sort of looked at it like sort of the the penance that you pay to have the luxury to get to be an artist is that you then have to give the world something that is important and powerful and impactful that you it's it's too indulgent to just sit down and paint flowers and because I had this mindset I didn't make art for a year and a half it was only after I sort of said well listen just just make something that I got into a a practice where I just was observing my everyday life. I was making little sketches and watercolors and doodles of fruit and plants and watercolor scenes from my neighborhood in, in Austin. And it wasn't the most profound thing and they were small, but it started a body of work that I like to call my, I'm just so happy to be here art. And it was a season from about 2016 when I started my one painting a day challenge all the way through about 2019, I would say where the main focus of my art was just to show up and gain some visibility and make art that felt really good. And I sort of completely alleviated myself from making art that had like, that was what I thought good art was, which was very pointed and have a message. And truthfully, that's because a lot of the art that I really value masterfully says a point. And it's a really, like I love conceptual art and I enjoy reading about conceptual art and so I sort of was pushing myself to get to this point. But the truth is, a lot of times making meaningful statements that like the statements of the artists that I really admire takes years and lots of reading and investigation and an expertise that you don't quite have at 23, 24 years old. Not everyone, some people do, but I certainly didn't. And it wasn't until a few years into my I'm just happy to be here era (laughs) that I started to feel this like sneaking guilty sort of okay now I have this robust practice I need to do more sort of sensation which brings me to my next point a point that I alluded to earlier in the episode and that is that discomfort that you feel when you know you could be doing more isn't inherently a bad thing and the goal shouldn't be to just like make it go away I know I know no no one likes that feeling and I don't think it necessarily has to be guilt you know guilt is like that full manifestation of like I know that there's something I should be doing but I'm not and again I hope that the first part of the episode gets us out of guilt but then gets us into a mindset where when you do have the space and and finances and mindset and connections to do things that are more helpful Maybe you allow that sort of tap on the shoulder feeling of like, could you be doing more? Could you be helping more? Allow that to guide us into better decisions. And whether that's how we run our business, you know, one thing that I've always done is as my business has grown, I've tried to phase out of using plastics and, you know, getting my packing material sourced from better places that align with, you know, my sensibility around the world. And I don't think sort of just saying I'm doing the best I can is going to be a way to sort of absolve that. I think it's a very natural thing to be in the world and to want to constantly do better. But the tricky part and the the part that's going to be incredibly unique to every person, nobody from the outside can tell you the right or wrong way to do this. It's going to be an, an intrinsic internal investigation that you're going to have to do. But I do think it's valuable to say, well, where can I help? And I'll give you some examples of ways that you can sort of help. 
And the first one came to me actually from an interview that I did on Lewis Martin. He's at the art engineer on Instagram. He had me on his podcast. He was so kind. And this was during probably the very beginning of the pandemic. And we had conversations around like, what kind of art are you going to do next? And I sort of, he was so kind that he let me sort of openly muse on his podcast. But I sort of said, I don't know. I think I'm wanting to to make work that's a little more pointed and about my experiences growing up as a child and, and you know, class inequality. And I, I think I'm ready to start making some some work that maybe investigates into those themes a little bit. And, you know, he was very kind and he sort of offered me this tidbit of information where he said, you know, something I do, because he's an artist too, he's a collage artist, a very amazing collage artist. He said that one thing he ingrains into his practice is that he, after certain sales with his own art, donates or will buy art and support artists who are making art that's a little more direct and in the things that he cares about and so he was just saying that that's one way that he is part of an ecosystem that he makes whatever art is honest and authentic to him and again there's power in that but then he takes some of his financial gain and he plugs it back into other artists in the community and I think that's so fantastic and I know this is going to seem obvious again I know I miss a lot of things (laughs) on my own but you know him explaining that to me sort of helped me to do kind of a similar thing where if I sell a large original I set aside a certain percentage and I put that into other artists who are either making work that you know does or says things or the person themselves you know, struggles under the systems of oppression that I'm critiquing and very unhappy with or, you know, however that looks like to you. And I found that to be a very meaningful way to sort of give back. And obviously not everyone's in a position to do that. Some people like every dollar goes somewhere the minute a painting is sold. And I totally understand that this wouldn't have been an option for me in like 2016 or 17, but 2020 Sari could do that. And I did do that. And, you know, that's just one way to help. Another thing that you can do is you can align certain prints or stickers or originals to have um, a big chunk if not all of the proceeds if that's available to you going to different organizations that are helping and again it's this idea of finding community plugging in if you financially have the space to do those things or you know if you can't financially do that but you can highlight organizations that are doing sort of the legwork of what you're interested in and what you're motivated to help and fix, then that's a really organic way to do that. Organizations are always trying to team up with artists. Again, I think personally it's because of that little mushroom analogy that artists are a very valuable part of, you know, an ecosystem that's fighting for justice and change. You can highlight work of activists and writers and other people and bring attention. If attention is something you have that you can sort of contribute, that that can also be a good thing. Again, The balance is going to be very personal and it's going to be, you know, dictated by inward analysis, but it's important to remember that that is something that you can do to sort of help be a better member of your ecosystem. So with that point, basically the thing that I want you to think about is it's simple. It's it's help when you can and it's finding a way to allow there to be sort of a a discomfort in a way that doesn't turn into guilt and keep you from making 
artwork and you know where this kind of thought comes from and again if this doesn't apply to you you can totally disregard but a good book I read many many years ago it's called Grist for the Mill by Ramdas. <laughs> um very good book it's funny I read it at like an art market um but anyways and the idea of the book is that discomfort can be a good thing and that not all discomfort equals like pain and struggle I guess it's it's a little nuanced but if you're interested in that idea I definitely recommend sort of reading that book because that's where a lot of this comes from you know what's the difference between guilt and discomfort again it's nuanced there but I believe that a big difference is guilt feels debilitating and futile and really can thwart creative motivation and discomfort when it's contextualized can be the kick in the pants you need to maybe reach out and find community or to find bodies of work that maybe speak to what you're wanting to make and you know kind of with this final point I would just say you know make whatever is authentic to you but if you're someone who eventually does want to make art about a particular thing or a struggle you know for me a lot of what I do is influenced by my childhood below the poverty line and sort of the class struggles and you know because I've gone through those things because of how hard it was um, it's given me bridges of empathy to other strife and problems but ultimately I would there has always been a world where I make art that does get to that and I think understanding that sometimes that is a long game and just because you're not currently making the most profound conceptual art doesn't mean that you won't eventually get there and I think the point to remember is just like how formally and I'm using the word formally in like the art sense so form means like color texture drawing you know the actual like thing that you're painting just like we understand that if you start painting you know you may not have all the skills and tools to make exactly what you have pictured in your mind but we sort of find peace with I'll get there eventually I just have to keep putting in the work and practicing and eventually my skill will get to a place where I envision it in my mind the same is true for the conceptual side of things and again I'm using conceptual in the art world sense which just means that the meaning the concepts behind the painting what the the message that you're trying to get across of course it's not going to start out firing on all cylinders no matter how passionate you are about that thing and so we have to allow ourselves the grace or at least this is what I've done allowed myself the grace to say it's going to require reading books on on policy and researching poverty statistics I certainly have my lived experience but I've learned a tremendous amount from from authors who write about justice and more directly like poverty and and things like that so that I can make better conceptual choices and eventually that does show up in your artwork so I guess the final thing here is give yourself the compassion to grow into the kind of artist who makes those statements if that's something that you want to eventually do and just be patient and kind and loving and remember that sometimes the best thing we can do when it feels like the world's on fire around us is just simply the next best thing it's take a nap it's make lunch it's take care of your babies it's be kind to yourself it's make that painting and then the next painting and the next painting and the next painting and read that book and I know it seems like a bit of a you know even in making this I have this sneaking discomfort that it's not 
direct enough and there are problems that need to be all hands on deck and certainly I think to the best of our ability we we can do those things so I I guess my real last point sorry (laughs) I, I never know how to stick the landings on things is something that I have thought of for a while which is to say if you're already doing things that are kind of in alignment with your bigger goals with you know wanting to see the world be a better place sometimes the barrier is lower you know if you're already contributing to programs or institutions or you know, charities or nonprofits or whatever that are already doing the legwork to help in the things that you're concerned with, you know, sometimes once you're in action, it, you don't have that that struggle to get the momentum going to do the next thing to help to maybe, you know, go on the out in the streets if that's possible to you. If you're already, you know, donating to causes that really inspire you, then you're plugged in and you probably get their newsletter and, you know, you are kind of in their orbit. And, and when there's times and places that make sense where you can help, where it's something that's possible for you, then you're already in action and you're already helping, even if it feels small, so that you're already in a place where you can do more once you're already doing something. So anyways, it's not an easy short answer. It's not the solution. There's definitely more that all of us could be doing. I know, I know. But I wanted to, again, just offer you guys some things I sort of weigh and consider and think about. And I guess like the big point is, you know, as an artist, we can't do everything. We can't be the whole solution. One person isn't going to fix all of this. But if we're authentic and we show up and we do the best we can with our practice and we stay plugged in and we stay earnest and listening to people and stay in community that that is the next best step and that's pretty amazing too and always i'm going to invite you to leave a comment or a review on the apple store this is always helpful because it helps newer podcasts like the not sorry art podcast gain traction and more importantly it helps me gain insight into how you guys are enjoying the podcast it's always really wonderful feedback to hear so i appreciate it and thank you again for those who've left that review If you do decide to leave a review, make sure to leave your handle so I can read that off on the air on next week's episode. Thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day and happy creating.